Well, good morning. So glad to be with you this morning. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read verse 1 through 20. If you're new to church or new to this idea of Christianity, don't be intimidated by your Bible. Find that table of contents. You're going to find the big number 15 and the small number 1, and you're there. As you're finding that passage, let me tell you a story. 2001 is the year eBay is at the height of its powers. It is the largest e-commerce website. And my dad was probably its newest consumer. As a seven-year-old, I had very clear memories of eBay. See, my dad was huge into cars, loved cars, a huge gearhead, and he was planning to restore a vehicle. And he was always in the lookout, knew this eBay idea. He was looking for the car that he wanted to restore, but not just any car, his high school car that he had to sell as my sister and I were born to pay bills. He lost that car, so he was looking for it again. And I can remember clear as day. Yeah, going to the office, you guys remember that, that, that big old mouse with that big old red ball thing? That made no sense at all with the big old buttons on the side. I remember him maneuvering that red ball, hunting and pecking at the letters on the keyboard, and he was looking to bid. He finally bid on this car. It was 1969 Buick Skylark, and it was beautiful, so it seemed, on the pictures. Now, eBay is not like today's world in the way if you want to buy something today, you want to buy a house, a car, you can look at 49 pictures. This had one. He made a bid and he was so excited, he ran into the kitchen. He said, Dana, I made a bid on this car. It's $800. What a bargain. My mom goes, well, what's the description say? And you could see my dad deflate. He did not read the description. He runs back into the office, maneuvers that big old red ball, and looks under the, pulls up the web page, which I'm sure took minutes at that time. Reads the description, and this is the full and actual description that this man put on there. This 1969 Buick Skylark has it all. Wonderful two-tone paint job, blue and rust. Brakes are accessible through the floorboards, which makes it a one-of-a-kind Flintstone braking system. The exhaust sounds like a 90-year-old smoker. The trunk is wide open to the back seat, so no fear of getting kidnapped. And you'll like this. It's great on gas because it seldom runs. The main point is, you could see the outside. It looked good. It looked promising. It looked ideal, but the inside was rotten. It was useless. It was ruined. And Jesus is speaking to this exact idea in Matthew 15, 1 through 20. We're going to focus in on verses 10 through 20 this morning in our time together, but we are going to read Matthew 15, 1 through 20 to provide some context for us as we're reading. So I'm going to ask if we're going to do something different here. If you're willing and able, I'm, asked, I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read God's word together. Matthew 15, 1 through 20. May God bless the reading of his word as we read it together here. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break, break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the, the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, 
And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called, this is Jesus, he called the people to him and said, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know the Pharisees were offended when you heard this saying? Uh, When they heard this saying, he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Also, you may be seated. Thank you. Our first point, I'm going to make it real easy this morning for you. I got three points for you, and two of them are the same. Okay? All right? Our first point is this simple and true fact that sin comes from the heart. We see this in verse 10, if you looked with me. He called the people to him and said, hear and understand this. Okay, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. You see, beginning in chapter 15, there's a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And if you're new to church, new to the Bible, the Pharisees are Jewish Jewish religious leaders of the day. They're always trying to confront Jesus, try to trick him into saying something wrong. And they hated Jesus. Jesus was a huge threat to them because Jesus was teaching a much different gospel than the life that they were living. And they devoted their whole life to this, this idea. They, they devoted themselves to the law. They would add laws. They would be big show-offs, but they were rotten inside. They wanted power. And their Messiah that they were certainly looking forward to wouldn't be a carpenter. He wouldn't be some lowly man eating with unclean people and proclaiming a salvation of grace. What? Our Messiah would come with power and restore Israel and re-enthrone Israel as a superpower of the world and finally get what's ours after years and years of oppression. So the Pharisees were doing some gotcha journalism. They were asking his disciples why his disciples why they were not washing their hands before they eat. Jesus immediately responds and, and, and basically says, "Why are you adding laws to what God has made perfect?" And finally, it culminates into verse eight and nine. If you read with me here, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The Pharisees would have been very familiar with this, as this is a prophecy from Isaiah. 
And after saying this, Jesus then calls a holy huddle. I don't know if the Pharisees were upset and turned away, or Jesus has kind of called in those people around him. But in verse 10, he, he called the people into him and said, hear this and understand. Now we're going to have to stop here for just a moment because lucky for us, Peter's here and he will ask a very clarifying question for us. So my third point will be the exact same as the first point, okay? My second point that we want to get at today is we want to focus on what God is doing. Jesus is telling his disciples to focus on God and what he is doing. Can you picture the scene? Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders of the day. They ask Jesus a question, and Jesus lays into them. He doesn't hold back. He says, you hypocrites, your heart is from me. You worship in vain. And you can kind of see the disciples in their reaction. They're kind of like, awkward. You guys remember when you were a little kid, you were at a friend's house, and all of a sudden your friend got in trouble, and their parents started yelling at them, and then kind of an argument, and it was like, you just like wanted to sink in your seat, like, okay, let me just like twiddle my thumbs over here. Kind of what the disciples were feeling. The disciples were feeling the tension, and they thought that maybe Jesus didn't pick up on the social cues or something that was happening, so they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, just you know, while we're in this huddle thing and they can't hear us, did you know that what you said offended them? And Jesus immediately responds in verse 12 through 14. Look at, look at these verses with me. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind gates. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus is teaching his disciples a truth that you and I need to understand when we're navigating this world. He is reassuring them. He is teaching them that God is sovereign, wise, and good. His ways are better than our ways. You want to hear a hard truth this morning? Here, look at me, guys. You want to hear a hard truth? Not everyone will believe the gospel. When you share the gospel and proclaim truth, some will reject it. Is God still good? Is God still in control? The Pharisees had every opportunity to believe. They were with Jesus. They heard him speak. They saw him perform miracles. They saw him raised from the dead. And yet their hearts were still cold to the gospel and the truth of Jesus. How? Was Jesus not doing a good job? Did he not go to enough evangelism seminars? Did he not read the latest Lifeway curriculum? What's, what's wrong? What's going on? But Jesus doesn't get frustrated with God's plan. Instead, he points people to God's plan and God's truth by saying that every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. God is the one who is in control of all things, even evangelism. Jesus, Jesus showed ultimate trust in his heavenly father when people around him were deaf to his teaching. He gives us a warning in verse 14. Can you read it with me here in verse 14? 
Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. What does this mean for us? What's he's trying to say to us? I think what he's trying to say to us is, don't be distracted by those who disbelieve. God is still good. God is still in control. God is still working. God is still saving. The danger is when you let the naysayers guide your thinking about God. When you get negative reactions to the proclamation of the gospel, that does not mean that God has failed. And it should propel us even further into sharing truth. The warning is, if we start believing in the negative reactions, then we will fall into the same pit of those naysayers. A pit of doubt, joyless living, legalism, worldly wisdom. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 10, 14. A few chapters earlier. And whoever does not receive, here's what he says. Whoever does not receive you nor listen to your words as you leave that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. Let me ask you a question. You guys ready to answer? You guys ready to answer? Okay, great. Still got you. What is your mission? What is your mission? Think about that for just a second. Have an answer in your head. I think your mission, as God calls us, is to make disciples. That is the main thing. We keep our eyes on that. My next question is, how are you doing? How would you evaluate your effectiveness in this mission? Making disciples is worth all your time, all your energy, all your money, all your thoughts, because it is what God loves. You are a Christian here today because someone boldly shared the gospel with you. And we too get to be a part of that mission. Let me tell you something too, that making disciples does not come from a stage. It does not come from a program. It comes from you. You are the disciple maker in your sphere of influence. And I think it's time that we need to refocus and get our efforts back on the mission of God. All of our time seems that we're, our time and effort is going towards drama, managing sin, Finances, we're strapped under burden of debt, marital tension because we can't get out of our own way. We say we don't have time, we're too busy to get involved with those non-believers and share the gospel. We don't have the boldness to do it. I do believe we'll have to answer to God one day of how we stewarded our time. That how is it in the freest country in the world? we have some of the most timid Christians. And that's just a gentle nudge for you to think about what is the, how bold are you being in sharing the gospel? And how are you doing at living out the mission of God? It is the main thing. If you want to see the world transformed, the gospel has to be proclaimed from your lips. It has to be. It must and Jesus, I think, is pointing to something even bigger here when he's talking. 
the disciples were concerned about the Pharisees taking offense to what Jesus had said. Jesus, though, cares about the mission of God more than anything else. Why does Paul say that he's not ashamed of the gospel? It's the power unto salvation. It's kind of an odd thing to say. He's not ashamed of the gospel. Why would someone be ashamed of it? I think Paul is saying that because the gospel inherently is offensive. You are going to offend people when you share the gospel because you are calling them to saving power, which means they need to be saved, which means they are a wreck. They are full of sin. But there is hope in the gospel. Why don't we proclaim the gospel? We can say fear, but I think it's more than that. I think we're selfish if we're being honest with ourselves. We're kind of feeling a little bit what the disciples are feeling. We care more about what others may think of us or how they may feel than the truth of God, than God's mission. When we focus on what God is doing, we don't let the naysayers stop our urgency. I want to take just a brief moment here and I want to speak to parents, if I could. Thank you, I appreciate it. I want to speak to you parents. As a youth pastor, I feel like I have some um, ability and I've seen a little bit on the inside and I see the way our culture is going. I just want to help. I want our church to be a discipling church. Parents, grandparents, you are the primary disciplers in the home. Your primary mission field is your children. Your role is not to be friends with your kids. That's exactly what the disciples are talking about. They're afraid of taking offense. And so many parents are afraid that they will offend their children. So they will withhold truth and withhold guiding posts so that they will maintain relationship, friendship relationship with their kid. God forgive us. Your role is not to be a friend, it's to be a parent. And it's to guide them into maturity. And sometimes that's, that means disagreeing with your kids. And sometimes that means your kid's going to throw a fit. And sometimes that means you're going to need to punish them. But this is truth. You are the primary disciplers of your home. And what's the primary way that we make disciples? Yes, it's to share the gospel, but it's also to live out the gospel. Why would students, why would children want to believe in the same God that you do if they never see you read the Bible, if they never see you proclaim Jesus, if they never see you pray with your husband or wife, if they never see you take seriously the things of God. I see over and over again children leaving the church when they graduate. And I think a major reason is the disconnect between what parents say they believe and how they live. And you may think that you're staying away from sin, but I'm telling you, that's not enough. Your kids are not going to be drawn by you just staying away and being better than the other parents in the soccer team. They need to be drawn with joy and that Jesus is worth living for and that God is worth everything. So that when they pick a career, when they pick and they start dating and they, and they, and they get married and and they, and they do life just as you did. They do it for Jesus. And they, and, and they love 
Jesus, and so they love what Jesus wants for them to do. That was free. That was free of charge there. Doctors understand this reality, right? When you go to the doctor, they are not worried about the way that you would take offense to your ailment. When you are sick, they will give you the right treatment, right? They will tell you what you need to get better. And so we need to kind of learn from that, that we need to be bold and share what the truth is. We have the remedy to the biggest disease this world's ever seen, which is sin. We have the remedy, the solution, and it's the gospel. It's Jesus. This is the truth. And we speak that boldly. Here, I have another point for you. And it's still the first point. Sin comes from where? Sin comes from the heart. This sounds easy to know and easy to understand, but yet living it out and understanding it is huge. And it's vital for the Christian walk. If we do not understand the depth of sin in our heart, we will not truly understand the restorative redemption power of Jesus. As you search deeper into your heart and find more and more closets to be unearthed and to find more and more sin, Jesus has opportunity to redeem you all the more. As you grow closer to him, to be sanctified by him, to, li- to be living for him. So as we come to this next point, I want to look at what Peter has to say and thank God for Peter because he asked some clarifying questions. Jesus is talking through all these parables, and sometimes it can be vague to his listeners, or sometimes they're not listening. Peter's kind of the guy that's nodding along, and then at the end of it, he's like, okay, what? Run that back again. Read, uh, let's read verses 15 through 20. Peter said to him, hold on, explain this parable to us. And he said, Are you still not without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes from the heart, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. That last verse, he's going back to what the Pharisees um, first, first brought up with their question. You guys ready to play a game? I'm a youth pastor, so we've got to play games at some point, okay? All right? I want you to do a little exercise with your neighbor. Don't worry, we're not doing push-ups or anything, okay? Um, I want you to write an answer down to this question, and we'll see how close you are. You can go over, so this isn't like the price is right, okay? I don't want to see any $1 bobs, all right? Um, How many times do you think the Bible mentions the word heart? How many times do you think the Bible mentions the word heart? Give it a guess. And then I want you to show your neighbor. If you're not sitting by a neighbor, next time you come, you have to sit closer to somebody so you can play these fun side games. You guys got it? Okay. 826 times. Okay. Anybody close? 826. Okay. Anybody close? Okay. Heard, see some smiles. Maybe that means you're way off or kind of close. This is extremely important to God. 
your heart. He is not solely interested on your behavior. Because when, he, when you would just address your behavior, it's like stapling new fruit to a dead tree. It will wither away unless you address the root of the issue, the root of the tree. And that's kind of what your heart is. It's extremely important to God. You are two parts. You guys know this? Okay. You are body and soul or, or heart. So the things your body does has already been decided in your heart. There's no action that first hasn't been believed in the core of your being. You don't just do things for the sake of doing things. You do things because you will it to happen. You believe in something. Your, your, your intentions are towards something. And this is the heart. Think of it like this. Your body is like the body of a vehicle and the heart is like the motor that makes it run, steers the, steers the vehicle. Every action is first cemented in your heart as belief. It's very important to God and he talks about it all the time. So follow your heart, right? No, 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 no. Do not follow your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, your heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I have some really bad news for you. I know you, okay, cool. All right, bad news time. Your heart is desperately sick. Desperately. Do you hear the words there? It's desperately sick. It's evil. John Calvin said in his Institutes that your heart is an idle factory. Just producing idols over and over again. Jesus is saying your heart is sick, filled with sin, and the things that you do come from the heart inside of you. The Pharisees had this backwards, and I, I would suggest that we even think of it backwards. They believed that they were looking righteous on the outside so that they were pure on the inside. Their status, their title, their ability to follow the law, they were trying to earn their salvation. But don't be too hard on them because we're guilty too. Some of us believe that we're righteous or we're good because we give so much money towards church. We give so much time. We give our resources. The amount of Bible studies we attend, the parents who raised you. Let me tell you this. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. If you think that you can earn God's favor by doing, 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 you will be sorely mistaken on the day of judgment. It's faith in Christ that washes you clean. And so sanctification is the same way. The same way that you are saved is the same way that God wants to make you look like his son. It's through faith. It's through repentance. It's through the Holy Spirit. And God and Jesus want to restore your whole self, your whole self, inside and out. Because if your heart isn't changed, you will never be transformed. And I'm not just talking to non-believers here. Your understanding of the heart is vital to your sanctification. Can I say something that might be hard to hear? Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. 
you're not sinful because of your environment. Your heart was not born good and the people around you made it bad. You're, the sin that you produced was always in your heart and the situation bubbled it to the surface and it shows itself in specific behavior. Like a tree with bad roots producing bad fruit, we've got to stop blaming our sin on others. Yes, people around you have influence. Believe you me, they have influence. But they cannot crawl into your soul, into your heart, and produce sin. Your circumstances, no matter how hard they are, are not determinative. They do not cause an effect. Meaning the situation you're in cannot make you sin. That's hopeful. Because that's what Jesus does. We are freed from sin. The bad fruit that you produce in your daily life is not because someone made you do it or someone frustrated you or they were just annoying that day. It's always been there. That sin's always been there and God is pushing it to the surface so it can be dealt with. That's what he's doing. He doesn't waste your circumstances. All that sin, he makes you want, he, he wants you to be more like Jesus. So that sin, he is graciously pushing it out of your mouth and into your behavior so that you can be more like Jesus and be a light in this dark world. We live in a culture that passes responsibility. You will never, hear me again, you will never have power over your sin if you don't get honest with where it comes from. Your sin didn't come from your absent father, your impatient mother, your crude friends at work, the way you grew up, your rambunctious kids, your lack of finances, your lack of sleep, your broken past, your dysfunctional family. Your sin comes from you. And the sooner you're honest with yourself, the sooner you'll experience resurrection power. Because if your sin is caused by somebody else, you have no ability to change it. Here's the good news. The sin that you produce, you are able and free to deal with it because you have the Holy Spirit and his power to change you. Isn't that good? When you pass responsibility, it does not behoove you. Points for me for using behoove. That wasn't in there. <laughs> it, it does not control you. Yes, our hearts are sick, desperately wicked. Our part from God, our hearts doubt, our hearts lust, our hearts will will want power, our hearts will control, our hearts love money, our hearts believe lies. But Jesus comes to restore your heart. He doesn't just restore our body, but our soul and our hearts. Jesus came to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died for our sins and took the punishment that we deserve. Jesus rose again, victoriously, defeating sin and death. And is he coming again? You better believe he's coming again. And he's bringing us with him to our eternal home. And that's what my Jesus is doing. Do you believe that? For those of us who have not put our faith in Jesus, maybe you're kind of just 
you know, feeling it out, seeing if these Christians are actually as crazy as people talk about. I pray today that the Holy Spirit would tug at your heart in a supernatural way. And you would realize the state of sin that you are in and the need of restoration and the need of saving power. I'm praying that you would turn away from sin and trust in Jesus. Trust that his work on the cross was enough to save you. You can never out sin God's grace. His grace is an ocean and your sins are thrown into that. There's nothing you've done or nothing you will do that could ever separate you from God. And how are you united with him and his saving power? Is it by doing things? It's by faith. It's by faith and repentance, placing your whole heart in allegiance to him and trusting him for the rest of your life. I'm praying, non-believer, that you would respond in obedience and be baptized. Be baptized into God's family and into this church. I'm praying for those of us who call ourselves believers but are not baptized, would take seriously the commandment of baptism. It's what we're commanded to do. For those of us who have placed our faith in God, we need to ask ourselves and do some diagnostic questions of our own heart. What does my heart want most? What does my heart desire most? What do I worship throughout the week? Who do I worship? And is my core lining up with the way that I am living? God hates hypocrisy. And it is such a stain on our church, the whole general church, that we would come here and worship God on Sunday, but yet live for the world on the other six days of the week. We need to start living right, and by that, we do it through resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you today, and I am so thankful for this opportunity to speak to my beloved church. I pray, Lord, that you would continue speaking. Even through this responsive song, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I pray if there's someone in here who does not know you, I, t I say, I am praying that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, you're able to answer our prayers. Lord, I pray that you would save the people in the room today. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for not being bold in our witness. Forgive us for being shy. Lord, Holy Spirit, take, take control of our, our, our witness. And Father, I pray that you would restore everything in our life, restore our heart, restore the way we live, restore the way that we spend money, restore the way that we pray. Lord, you are in the business of restoring, and we ask that today, that there would be no sin left uncovered. And Father, I pray that we would deal with it today. Lord, we thank you for all the work that you're doing, and we ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen.